Today I want to look at a chapter in the Bible that uh, many of us might be familiar with or we've heard of. Uh, it's often referred to as the love chapter uh, in Scripture. And, uh, but interestingly enough, we often take this chapter quite out of context. Yes, it does talk about love and loving one another. Uh, but um, I want to look at it in detail today and um, suggest to you that it really is, as Paul says, um, the most excellent way to live. The most excellent way to live. Now, I've uh, officiated a lot of weddings, and every wedding but one I've used 1 Corinthians 13. Every single one. And it's often associated with weddings, of course. You know, you hear this love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy, and so on and so on. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty tough line. And I can remember when Lisa and I were engaged and the uh, pastor's wife at the church we were going to um, said, hey, John, let me read to you something. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I was like, um, can we back up the wedding a couple years? I don't know if I can do that quite well. But I, I remember feeling the pressure of like, if that's what marriage is, I mean, I want that, but I know I'm capable of doing that. <clears throat> kind of scary. One wedding I did officiate, they absolutely said, we just have one request, we do not want 1 Corinthians 13 read at our wedding. <laughs> I said, what? I mean, I had to like pause and think, can I do that? You know, it's like, is that sacrilege? Yeah, I guess I can do that, that's all right. But So I weaved it in all through the whole ceremony and just didn't make it very obvious, you know. But anyways, typically, this chapter is just kind of ripped out of its context, and I want us to remember why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. And some of you may be familiar with chapter 12, the wonderful chapter about the body of Christ. You know, Christ is the head of the body. Some people are the hands, some are the eyes, some are the ears, some are the feet. But we're all part of the body of Christ. We need this unity. And then in chapter 14, he's talking about the gift of tongues and prophecies, and he talks about that in other places too. But his point being here, he, and, and just as a reminder, remember that when Paul wrote this, there were no chapter numbers and no verse numbers. It was just one long letter. And so this section of love that we like to isolate was part of his whole letter, deep embedded right in between chapters 12 and 14 as we know them. And so the problem that they were having there in, in Corinth is that they believed that if you had a certain type of knowledge, you were more special than others. You had this inside knowledge, this inside track from God that, that you were more special than others. You were up here and others were down here. And if you could speak in tongues, then you were up there too. And so it was like, oh, do you speak in tongues? Oh, no. oh then you're not. You know, oh, do you get that direct wisdom and insight? Oh, then you're, you know. And so that's why Paul starts talking about the body. And he says, we're all, we're all needed. And God gives spiritual gifts to everybody. And they're all needed in different ways. And so he says, but in, in spite of all that, there is a greater way. And that's why he says in the last verse of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. So he says, we have all these spiritual gifts, but without love, they're nothing. And so Paul moves into chapter 13 as we know it, 
talk about the most excellent way. He says, I want to just look at the first three verses here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, those are all wonderful things. Can you imagine speaking like in these angelic language? He says without love, it's like a resounding gong, clanging cymbal. The gift of prophecy that you can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge. If you could have the faith that can move mountains without love, it's nothing. If you gave all you had to the poor, Paul says, if you do these things, but you don't have love, they're worthless. They don't mean anything. We live in an age that drives us to be productive. Do, do, do. Achieve, achieve, achieve. More and more and more. And if we're not very productive, then we're not valued very much. It could be the same way in the church. There's lots to do in the church, isn't there? There's not enough time in the day to do the things that God needs done, it seems, by us. More and more to do. We can do so many things and not have love. I want to put up a, a mathematical equation. Now, I know that doesn't like math to you, but in the kingdom of God, this is math, all right? Productivity greater than love. That's what Paul is saying here in these verses. If we put the things of God, the, the things that are supposed to be about his work, great things, giving all we have to the poor, having faith enough to move mountains, being able to prophesy. I mean, we could go on with the list that he talked about. And those things are, God gives spiritual gifts for the work of ministry, the work of service, to be able to do the work of God on earth. But Paul says if we do that, if we make being productive and being busy about God's work greater than love, then it's nothing. And let's put up another slide. Love being greater than productivity. I want you to, I, I wanted to give a visual of this because for some of us, if not all of us, we believe love is greater than productivity, but our body wrestles with it. Right? We're like, I know that's right, but, but if we just love, we're not going to get anything done. Wait for it. <laughs> right? If we just love, who's going to get stuff done? It's like the whole, I love always bringing up the Mary and Martha passage in Luke. You know, Martha's complaining about Mary being at Jesus' feet. And it's always interesting because we start talking. Yeah, but if we all sit at the feet of Jesus, who's going to do the stuff? That's another sermon for another time. <laughs> it's really scary when we don't understand how productive love is. And love, when love happens, there's more productivity happening than all the busyness in the world that doesn't have a drop of love in it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. There's nothing worse than a religion without love. And let's face it, religious people are very busy people. We're religious about the things that we believe in and the activities we believe in. But we've all experienced, maybe in our own lives at times and in the lives of others, maybe in this church and other churches, other experiences, 
When you come across a religion or someone who's religious and you don't feel the love, it's rough, isn't it? It smells really bad. (laughs) There's something up. Now, recently, we had the joy of having a really bad odor taking place in my office over there. I walked in one morning and I go, oh my goodness, what is that smell in here? Something has died in here. Sure enough, we found out there were some dead varmints (laughs) in my walls and in my ceiling. Little did we know that at night when we went around, they were hanging out where the organ speakers are playing organ music. No, just kidding. (laughs) Just having a party back there. And for about a week, we worked on getting them out of there and cleaning it up and all of that. But for about a week, I couldn't use my office. It was so bad. It smelled so bad. So I would use the mother's room back there, which is a great place I'm going to start using more often because they have those gliders. You know, you can work (laughs) rather than just sitting at a desk. But it reeked. And then we thought we got them, and I went, that smell is still there, man. It's still, we haven't got rid of them. So they came back, found some more, got it. So they spent this whole week, I think every single day I saw the Terminex truck here. They were up on the roof sealing things. They were doing everything. So you guys are safe, all right? You are, you're safe. But you know, when, when, when you experience religiosity without love, you smell something wrong, right? And it's the smell of death, not life. But when love, see, Jesus doesn't invite us to be just religious people. He, do, he invites us to be religious about his love. Religious in sharing his love. Religious in connecting with him for love. But when we just do things without love, Paul says, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. He goes on. And he says these words in verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What a beautiful picture of love. I'd like to say I do that all really well. But you know I don't. (laughs) And we all know that we don't. There are glimpses, you know, when, you, when you're like, oh, man, I, I think I'm, I'm doing well today. Oh, there's the pride, you know. I love the message translation says, love does not strut, not puffed up, does not boast, is not proud. Envy. I'll never forget a school board meeting um, several years ago. Not here, but at a previous uh, location. And um, the church that I was pastoring at that time owned about 14 acres of land, and we were looking to do a building program. And uh, the problem was we had the land, but we didn't have enough money to build. So we knew we could sell the facility we were in, but we'd still be short to build. And so things started happening that we didn't predict, and an um, automobile dealership contacted the school contacted me and then contacted the school and said, hey, we'd like to buy your school. I want to put a dealership there. Um, you guys interested in selling? I said, well, you, you got to talk to the principal and the board and so forth. And so they did. And long story short, I'll save you some details. There are 14 churches that were in that constituency for that school. 
And so when I was talking to the owner of that automobile dealership, I said, you know, there's a slim chance that this is going to happen because there are, the way things work, there are 14 churches, and all 14 churches have to agree on the fact that you're going to allow our church and this school to be on the same property. And he goes, really? Well, what's the problem with that? Aren't you all one? <laughs> In theory, yes. <laughs> and so uh, the story goes on, and it was starting to look like this could happen. And we came to the point where this was the agenda item on the board meeting. And uh, I remember being at the board meeting, of course, since my church was the one that was being talked about, I wasn't saying a lot. Just let them talk and process and answer questions. And then I saw it start to go down in flames. You know, this church was saying no, this church was saying no, da, 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 da. And there was silence. And I thought, well, it's just going the way I anticipated it would until the pastor next to me spoke. And he and I hadn't talked. And he said, I'm ashamed of us all. I said, wow, what's, what's going on? A sermon's coming on, I can tell. I'm ashamed of us all. He says, we ought to be happy and rejoicing that God is blessing this church. Because you can't all tell me if it wasn't your church, you'd be wanting this to happen. It went through unanimously. Wow, godly man right there. <laughs> we struggle with envy. Even as churches, we struggle with envy. As Christians, we struggle with envy. And Paul says, when they love, you don't envy it. I experienced from this man, it was so great. Why are we so envious? If God is blessing this church, shouldn't we rejoice? Shouldn't we be happy? Love is patient, kind does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude. Paul goes on. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things behind me. But now we see, but a poor reflection in a mirror, and we shall see face to face then. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see, what Paul is saying is that sometimes, sometimes we lose sight of the eternal. We get so trapped into the temporary, we get so trapped into the things that we think are so essential right now when when they have no eternal value. They're going to go away. And so he's telling them, look, this speaking in tongues, this being able to prophesy, this having wisdom, it's temporary. It's not going to last. In fact, think about this for a minute. Paul says, someday you won't live by faith anymore. Because when Jesus comes again, which the climax of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, the resurrection and Jesus coming again, when Jesus comes again, we don't need faith anymore. We are now with him forever. And then think about this. We hang on to hope. We need hope as human beings to get us through the difficult times, the storms that were mentioned earlier. When Jesus comes back again and we are living with him on the earth made new, we don't need hope anymore. We are living in it eternally. Faith is going to go away. Hope's going to go away. But love is here for eternity. Forever. When we are there at the feet of Jesus, we're in his love for eternity. And while we 
thrive on faith right now. We need faith and we need the hope. Those two will pass away. All the things that we value, that we put so much status on that don't have to do with love aren't going to last. It's only temporary. Paul's saying, live with eternity in mind. Love is the most excellent way. It will last forever. I like what Kenneth Chafin, commentator, said, when everything that seems permanent is gone, our buildings, our bureaucracies, our budgets, our books, and our programs, love will be as enduring as ever. That's why Paul says later at the end of his book in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. Now, it's easy to get up here and say, love is the most excellent way. And I think we would agree that it is. But I don't want to just put it out there without giving you a couple of thoughts of how we might be able to grow in love and being more loving through the grace of God. And to me, it comes down to two things. You can fill in all the nooks and crannies in different ways, but two things. And one is the pace of life will squash love out of our life. We had a sermon a while back in a series we were doing. Remember that, some of you? It was pretty painful for all of us, the discipline of slowing. Remember? I don't know about you, but I don't act a lot like Jesus when I'm hurrying. Do you? Maybe you do, right? But when I'm trying to get my kids out of the house in the morning to get to school on time, I don't think they hear the voice of Jesus. (laughs) Right? I try to put it in that frame, but I don't know that it really works. It's, what does Revelation say? Like a lamb speaking like a dragon or something? I'm not sure. <laughs> I was writing an email, and oftentimes at the end of the email, I like to put grace and peace. You know, grace and peace, exclamation mark. And one day I made a mistake, and I left off the first E in peace. I put grace and pace. I went, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I got to pause with that for a minute. Because when we live in the pace of grace, love seems to abound a little bit more. There seems to be a little more room in our life for the love of God and for the love of others. But when we're rushing and we're hurrying, we kind of squeeze that opportunity and and then we want, God, throw your grace and your peace on me because I'm running and I can't stop. But the pace of life, slowing down, the pace of our life seems to keep us from marinating in God's love and allowing his love to create this aroma out of our life. We become too busy to love people. Have you noticed that? Just not enough time, not, no time to love anyone. We deal with people. We manage people more than we might take the time to love them. So one thing I would suggest, and I hope you know when I share these things with you, I'm preaching to myself, okay? Slowing down taking space, making sure, slow down the hurry. The other thing is abide. Remember these words? You're probably tired of hearing me say them over the last few years. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man, if a woman remains in me and I in him, he or she will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He says later in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. We usually get hung up on the second part of that. Well, how come when I ask for things, it doesn't happen? But remember before that, he says, if you remain in my words and my words remain in you, what words am I using when I ask my wishes? That's another sermon, all right? My point is remain in the words of God because 
what happens when you look at how, when God speaks, when God speaks, God creates. So when you look at creation, God speaks and he creates. When you look at Jesus, when he spoke into people's lives, he created new life. When we abide in the words of Jesus, he creates his love within us. He creates new minds and new hearts and new attitudes just by speaking into our life. And when that happens, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth, begin to develop into who we are. I like what Brennan Manning said when he said, life is doing what comes supernaturally. That's what Jesus said. If you want to live life to the fullest, let me live in you. That's a supernatural life, a supernatural love that happens in us. I like what Ann Voskamp said, men. Only when a man looks to Jesus does a man know how to treat a woman. That's what happens when we abide in Christ. We begin to love. William Perky said, love like you'll never be hurt. That's a tough one, isn't it? But that's what Jesus and his love, his kingdom love, invites us into. Love like we'll never be hurt. Oh, we will get hurt. But it'll be his supernatural love that'll keep us loving. And not say, I'm going to stop loving because it hurts so much. I think the question for us to really decide is, is love really the most excellent way? Because in the kingdom of the world, we don't need love to be productive. In fact, you can be very productive in the world without any love. You can be heartless and be productive in the world's eyes. But we are only being productive in the kingdom of God when we love. And I would suggest the kingdom of God is the only kingdom worth living for. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for your unconditional love for us. Your love that endures, your love that is long-suffering, your love that truly is the most excellent way. I pray, Lord, that we would allow ourselves to slow down and realize and just evaluate in our own lives what's really important, what is really necessary, what's driving me to feel like I have to do all of these things. Where's your kingdom in all of this? Jesus, by your grace, may we steep ourselves deep in the richness of your love and then allow you to love the world around us in ways that will probably hurt quite a bit. But we confess to you this morning, we truly believe your love is the most excellent way. Take a moment now in silent prayer to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning about his love.